Last week, we began a series through the Gospel of Mark. And like Eric said, we're really going to be here all this semester, really 17 weeks through this Gospel that is going so fast. Mark uses this word immediately to show the, just the, the quickness, the rapid-fire speed through which he is introducing us to Jesus. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to be a follower of Jesus. And through this, what we're going to see is we're, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to follow Jesus through the gospel of Mark. Last week, we were introduced to Mark. We were introduced to John, the one who would prepare the way for Mark, or for Jesus. Jesus appeared, and he was immediately baptized. I forgot to point out, like, we have, we have the story of Jesus around our sanctuary, right? So last week, we were right there where the dove like Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus, he's baptized in the River Jordan. Isn't that neat? Like, I, just, I don't know why I didn't realize that last week. So, uh, But this week we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, to chapter 2, verse 12. And this is the big idea I want us to walk away with. I want all of us to stand amazed. Stand amazed before the powerful king. Stand amazed before the powerful king. What we're going to do today is we're going to walk through each of these little snippets, each of these eyewitness accounts, each of these stories, really verse by verse. I would encourage you, hopefully we'll have it up on the screen, but also uh, if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you as well. Uh, page 785 is where we'll be today in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll get into the text. Our Father in heaven, we pray now that your spirit would speak, indwell us, give us insight, illuminate our minds, our hearts, that we may understand this word, not only understanding it, but also acting in accordance with it. May we be found worthy. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Throughout this passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus, the powerful, authoritative king. You see, his kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Mark is going to move super fast through story after story of Jesus' power on display. From last week, we saw John has prepared the way Jesus has been baptized and tempted. Now he comes to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. As we see Jesus in this passage, he is the powerful king. My hope is that we will stand amazed. Stand amazed at who Christ is is in these rapid fire stories we see Jesus's authority on display through his various words and deeds and then throughout all of this we're going to see the crowd respond we're going to see how the disciples respond and we're going to see how we respond to Jesus the powerful king first of all what we see in verses 14 and 15 is this proclaiming. Let me read it for you. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus comes out of Gal he comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming this good news. Mark is clear here. He wants us to understand that John has been arrested and now Jesus begins his ministry. This is significant. It's significant for us, but it's also significant for the early readers of the Gospel of Mark. 
John has been arrested. Many of them at this time are being arrested. They're connecting with John, but he's also a forerunner to Jesus' arrest. Right? Yes, he prepared the way for Jesus to come and proclaim, but he's also showing through his arrest, through his death, that Jesus has the same outcome. And then also the, the original readers to this, this may be their fate as well, arrested and killed for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus comes proclaiming, heralding. He is speaking the gospel of God, this good news that we talked about last week. This, these glad tidings, this announcement, this good news of God. And he says, the time is fulfilled. The critical moment has come. The decisive moment has arrived. What we've been awaiting is now being fulfilled in the coming of Christ and his proclamation. He says the kingdom is at hand. This kingdom of God, a very simple way of remembering what the kingdom is, is just the rule and reign of God on earth. The rule and reign of God on earth. Jesus says it's at hand. It's come near. It's, he, it really is, I'm ushering it in. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. And then he goes on and he, he proclaims, repent. Time is fulfilled. Kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance, we, we, we throw these words around a lot, right, in church? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repentance is just a simple turning. It's a turning away and going in a radical new direction. It's a turning away from sin and going in the direction of Jesus. He says believe in the gospel. Repentance is one side of the coin. Belief is the other. We turn away from our sin but we believe, we commit to following Christ. We commit to hear the good news. We turn from and we turn to. This is the response, right? Jesus comes proclaiming his response that he wants from the people that are hearing this is repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Believe in Christ Jesus. Second, we see him calling his disciples. He calls. Listen to verses 16 to 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who we also know as Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their, their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus comes calling. He is calling people to follow him. You see, he's alongside the Sea of Galilee. He's talking to fishermen. Simon and Andrew are the first set of brothers here. They're, they're, they're actually at work. They're casting their nets into the sea. And Jesus comes to them and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You see, this, this idea is, is, a, is kind of radical in this setting. See, disciples of rabbis would choose to follow and come alongside. Jesus here is saying, come and follow me. He's the one initiating. He's the one calling people to himself. 
says, follow me. And then he says, I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. This is clicking in their heads, right? They are fishermen, right? This is their daily job. They're casting nets to catch fish so they can provide for their family. Now Jesus says, I'm actually going to reorient your life. No longer are you going to be fishing for fish, but now you're going to be fishing for men. This, is a, this really is a picture we see throughout the Old Testament. And whenever God is doing the fishing, it's really a call of judgment. One commentator says a call, this is a call to the eschatological task of gathering men in view of the forthcoming judgment of God. Right? This, is our, this is our message. This is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. Repent and believe in the gospel, for judgment is coming. That is why we call people to follow Christ, because apart from Christ, hell awaits. Eternal damnation awaits. That's what happens to those who do not repent and believe in the gospel. They spend eternity separated from God. But it's incredible here. John, I mean, Mark again throws out immediately, immediately. Just, just think about this for a second, okay? Okay, you're, you're at your job, engineering job, computer science job. You're maybe at school, in class. And this man comes to you, right? He says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. This isn't the first time, by the way, that, that Andrew and, and, and Peter and James and John have encountered Jesus. We know this from the, from the Gospel of John. We also know this from the book of Acts, where, where they go and try to find another disciple that had seen Jesus' baptism all the way to his resurrection, right? So we know these guys have been around. They're seeing, they're hearing, they're, they're probably sitting there going, okay, is this guy really the one? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the the one who is to come. Jesus, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. I know Mark is writing at a very fast pace, but his response to the response of the disciples, it says immediately, immediately they dropped their nets and they followed this man. Again, right? We, we, have, we have this second set these, these sons of thunder, John and, and James, the, the sons of Zebedee, right? He is, Jesus comes to them. They are fishing. He says, follow me. And again, Mark says, immediately. And then he adds this. This is, this is crazy. Immediately, they left their nets. Not only that, though. They left their father. They left their, the hired servants. They left the boat, this is throwing everything away. It is counting all things rubbish in order that I may attain Christ. Right? This is the call of a disciple. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the call on your life. Immediately follow him. And then we go fishing. Right? We go and we share the gospel with those who have never heard. We go and share the gospel with those in our classrooms, those in our neighborhoods, those at work. This is the call on the lives of these first disciples. It's a radical message, it's a radical call, and it's a radical obedience. The response of the disciples and the response that we have is follow and fish. Follow and fish, follow Christ and fish for men. Next, as we continue through these stories, we see Jesus teaching. 
He's proclaimed, he's called, and now he is teaching. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 21, really 121 all the way to 139 is a day in the life of Jesus. So you can like bracket that, and if you want to, if you want to know what a day in the life of Jesus is, just read these verses. 21 and 22 says, and they, <clears throat> they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, so it's a new day, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus comes in teaching in the synagogue. So he was, I guess he was given the opportunity to teach. But he walks in, he teaches. And listen to that response. This is incredible. They were astonished, amazed at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Right? A light bulb should be going off. Why does this man have authority? Why does this man have authority? Well, 1 1 told us the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has authority because Mark is still arguing and he wants us to be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the one who's come. So Jesus is teaching. There's astonishment from the crowd. And then in verses 23 to 28, there's a bit of an interruption. And immediately, again, immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's interrupted. It says immediately a man with an unclean spirit came in, and he cried out in the middle of a service, right, in the middle of the synagogue, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Right? It doesn't seem like it's only one unclean spirit. He says, what do you have to do with us? There's a multitude of unclean spirits in this man. He, he, he addresses Jesus by his name, Jesus of Nazareth. He's trying to control Jesus through this. What, have, you, have you come to destroy us? He knows Jesus' motivation. He knows why Jesus has come. Jesus has come to bind the strong man. He has come to bind Satan. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons know this, and they tremble. You are Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. You've come to destroy us. But what we see is Jesus actually rebukes and cleanses. He rebukes and cleanses. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. This silent motif this silent theme, we're going to see that through Mark. We'll address it uh, probably in a few weeks. But he says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And then again, we see this response. They were amazed. They were amazed. Nothing like this is happening. This man comes in. He teaches with authority. He casts out demons with authority. So that they even question among themselves, what is this? What's going on? This is a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. 
You understand the scribes and the Pharisees clearly didn't have authority. They're saying this man has authority. There's difference in his teaching. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus is being made known through his teaching, through his authority. So this is the, the, the Sabbath day is, is happening right now in verses 21 to 28. He is teaching, he's casting out demons, and then he goes into the house of Simon and Andrew. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay, evil, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever le- le- left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here, Jesus is healing. Again, his authority, his authority in teaching, his authority over the demons, his authority over sickness. Here he's healing, and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. This is in the house. Again, this is, this is on the Sabbath. Right, But it's, it's alone in the house, so it's not causing a problem like it will in the next chapter when he heals on the Sabbath. Here he has authority over, over demons and diseases. But, but notice that everybody waited till sundown. Real quick, just, just so you all know this, Sabbath ran from evening the, that, that Friday to evening that Saturday. So the rest of the town was, were not breaking the Sabbath laws. They were bringing the sick. They were bringing the demon-possessed. To Jesus, and Jesus heals and casts out demons. But again, we're, we're told he didn't permit the demons to speak. Don't speak, because they know him. He's healing. His authority is there. I do love the response here from Simon's mother-in-law. She's healed by Jesus touching her, and then she serves. She serves. She gets up, and she serves. That's a natural response to being healed by Jesus, right? Our sins are forgiven, and then we serve. Let's continue. And rising very early in the morning, just just think about this. Jesus has been up all night healing, casting out demons. And then verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See, Jesus here, we see him praying and preaching. Praying and preaching. He, he was the Son of God. God incarnate. And it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He needed time with the Father. Him and the Father were one. He did nothing apart from the Father's will. He needed time with the Father. Mark doesn't really mention prayer that often. He mentions it here. He mentions it again in 646. And then the last time we see prayer mentioned is 1432 to 42 in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we know Jesus prayed. We know Jesus spent time with the Father. One pastor asked this question, do I share his sense of the need for prayer and prolonged communion with the Father? Do you share that need? 
Is this a normal practice in your life? To rise early in the morning while it's still dark just to commune with the Father. To go to him through his word, through the spirit and pray. To, to talk. Jesus did this. Jesus models a praying life to us. But then he also, as Simon and those with him come, we see, what, we see priority in Jesus' life. Yes, prayer was priority. But then we see another priority here. They found him. And they say, everyone's looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. See, Jesus is so countercultural even to our church life right now. Because if everyone was looking for us in our churches in America, we wouldn't move to the next place. We say, come on, let's go. We have a, I mean, really, we have a, we have a problem with celebrity pastors right now. With, with people trying to build just a, you know, a, a following instead of just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says. His priority was praying and it's preaching. In Jesus' ministry, we see teaching, preaching, and proclaiming as the essence of Jesus' ministry. Yes, he heals. Yes, he casts out demons. But his preaching, his proclamation, his teaching is the essence of his ministry. And we see it here in this statement. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Why did Jesus come out? He came out to preach. That was his first words in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. He's coming out proclaiming the gospel of God. And he went throughout all Galilee. He's preaching, but then we also see he is casting out demons. The response, how do you think the disciples responded? They are with Jesus, who every time he gathers at a home, it becomes packed. Right? He's becoming a celebrity, the fame, the money. But Jesus says, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Till there's no place left. And we want to see the gospel go forth. We want to see the nations reached with this good news. We want to see the gospel proclaimed everywhere. This is the, this is the essence of Christ's mission and the mission he's called us to. Go and make disciples of all nations. As this day ends, we see a leper comes to him. Verse 40 says, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Leprosy, this isn't just an illness. This guy didn't just have a disease. This was a sentence to solitary and isolation. Right? He couldn't be around his family. He couldn't be around the community. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 gives us some commands when it comes to the leprous person. This is what it says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. 
He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Get this. Total separation. Total separation. He, he hadn't felt the touch of another human in I don't know how long. He was isolated. But he comes to Jesus. It says he kneeled, imploring him. He kneeled and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. Mark adds these, this phrase right here. He says, moved with pity. Right? This, this, mean, this can mean compassion, but it also has this idea of anger. Anger. Moves with pity. From, from, from the in, in, inwardmost being of Christ, he was, he was angry. He was angry. Yes, he does show compassion, but he was angry over the effects of sin. He saw the effects of sin in this leper's life. He saw the effects of sin on the world that he created. It says he was moved to pity. He stretched out his hand. I'll remember this now. Unclean, unclean. Couldn't be around a leper. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus touches the leper. This is an act of compassion. He touched the unclean and brought cleansing. See, Jesus should have been made unclean, but the opposite happens. Unlike an ordinary rabbi, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Rather, the leper is cleansed and healed by Jesus' contagious holiness. See, Jesus reaches out and touches this man who hadn't been touched in years. And he's cleansed. He's cleansed. You see, this, this man's state, physical state, can really represent all of our spiritual states. Right? We are unclean. We're unclean and we need Jesus. Jesus understands. He's moved to pity. He's angry over the sin that has impacted our lives, impacted the world. And Jesus' statement to anyone in here today who is unclean because of their sin, he says, I will be clean. I will be clean. And we know this can happen because of what God has done through Christ Jesus. You see, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the, that's the gift of the gospel. He who knew no sin, Jesus was holy, holy, holy. He touches this leper, right, and makes him holy, makes him clean. He says, go and present yourself to the priest. Don't tell a soul. Just go and do that so that he can, he can pronounce you clean. Yet the leper does something different. Jesus heals, but this leper disobeys. The leper goes and he proclaims all over. And what we see, what we see at the end of this passage right here of this leper, we see Jesus and him exchanging places, right? Where the leper was outside the camp, Jesus is now meant to be outside the camp. He gives him his, this healing, but through this disobedience, Jesus now is pushed out to the desolate places and can no longer enter a town openly. This guy disobeys. 
One commentator says, this serves to terminate the preaching tour of the Galilean villages and provides the point of transition to the five accounts of controversy which follow. So beginning in 2-1, all the way to 3-6, there's going to be five accounts of controversy. We're not going to hit all these today. We're not going to hit all these today. We'll, we'll come back tomorrow or next week to that. But what we see here as Jesus now, there's been, a, there's been a break for a time. And then Mark picks up and he says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So here again, he's preaching. This is why he came. He preaches. The response here, he's gathering a huge crowd. And then in verses 3 to 10, we see something unique. We've seen a lot of uniqueness, but here we see something that's going to cause a huge controversy. Verses 3 through 10. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them. All so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Here, Jesus forgives sins. Jesus sees the faith of these friends through their actions, right? They, they get to this house, they can't get through. They have their buddy on a bed, a paralytic, he can't move. They're trying to get through. And I'm not really sure what was going through their minds. Like this, this is crazy. Fellas, I think. If we go up on that roof, we can dig a hole and drop him through. I mean, can you imagine like that being like in our in our minds, we're like, no, that like shingles, plywood, no, that ain't happening. But this was like mud and, and sticks and stuff. So there was there was potential there. So these guys, they haul their buddy up on top of the roof. And just to be, just to be inside of that house, can you imagine what all was coming through? Like they start hearing, right? They start hearing this this scratching, this, this pounding, right? They start seeing and feeling all the debris, the sticks and stuff, like, like dropping on their head. Like, man, I'm, I'm going, what is going on? And then through this hole, they see a bed being lowered down with a man on it. Like, what is going on? And Jesus, right, Jesus responds to this. I'm sure others were responding as well, but we don't have that recorded. Jesus responds. And it says when they saw, when he saw their faith, the faith of the friends, the action of the friends was proof of their faith, right? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I'm not, I'm not sure that's what, I'm not sure that's what the friends wanted, Right? They didn't, they didn't really want sins to be forgiven, or at least they didn't think they did. They wanted their friend to be healed so they wouldn't have to raise him back at um, the roof, right? They didn't want to do that. 
Like they were like, man, let him walk out now. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And what this causes is a huge stir among the scribes and Pharisees in this house. The scribes questioned in their hearts. They questioned in their hearts. And they say, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, the, the scribes jump to blasphemy because they know, and this is, this is a correct, it's correct. No one can forgive sins but God alone. He must be blasphemous. He must be blaspheming. They could have concluded something else. They could have concluded, is this man the son of God? Is this man the son of God? Is this man God? You know, they didn't have boxes to put that in, right? They, this was a different paradigm. Right? The Old Testament spoke of, of, of God sending someone, a Messiah, an anointed one, the son of God, Psalm 2, right? My son in whom I'm well pleased. But they, it didn't work in their paradigm, so they, they concluded, no, this is, this is blasphemy. One pastor says that the real paralytics in the story are the scribes and Pharisees in 2, 1 to 12. They're the real paralytics. They were indifferent and skeptical and critical over this one who could forgive sins. Their hearts were paralyzed. They could not understand. They could not see. So Jesus addresses them, and he says... He perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. And he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Yeah, there's no proof there. That's easier, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. How can the Son of Man forgive sins? How can your sins be forgiven today? You see, that's your greatest need. You may have physical ailments like this paralytic. But your greatest need, and Jesus knew the greatest need, he saw the paralytic, but he went to the greatest need. He went to the heart need. He went to the need that all people have, and that's for their sins to be forgiven. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. How can this be made possible? Well, the Son of Man took our sins on the cross. We'll see that in several weeks. The Son of Man laying his life down for his sheep. He took our sin on the cross, and now, like verse 15 says, if we'll repent and believe in Christ, in his good news, we will be saved. If you've never done this, if, if this is something you've never heard, if this is something you want to know more about, please don't respond like the Pharisees and scribes who questioned and were skeptical. Be amazed at this powerful king, the son of man who can forgive sins. The proof is here. The proof is here. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your mat and walk. The man rose and took up his mat and walked, showing that yes, he was healed physically, but yes, he was healed spiritually. This is our greatest need. I, I encourage you to talk with someone today if you want to learn more about following Christ and fishing for men. The response, this final response, verse 12, 
They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amazement and glorifying God. How will you respond today? How will you respond today? This powerful king that we've seen on display through each of these eyewitness accounts, his preaching, his healing, his casting out demons, are you amazed or are you skeptical? Is this really the son of God, the one who, for, who can forgive sins, the one who with only a touch can cleanse the leper? I think Jesus has proved himself to be who he said he was. Through his death, through his resurrection, we now have life. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want to pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to remember what Christ did on the cross, his work on the cross through the Lord's Supper. So let me pray, and then our ushers will come, and then we will celebrate what Christ has accomplished. Our Father in heaven, we do give you praise for this day. Thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, it's so good. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Lord, I pray that we would uh, eat it today and find much delight in it. Help us to meditate on it day and night. Help us to not only be hearers, but also doers. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As our ushers come forward.